recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christagania.org. I have some technical details this evening. I have no feedback from TalkShoe whatsoever. Yahweh willing, this place, that this program will go smoothly, uh, I pray. Tonight, I shall present two of my recent essays, No Safe Haven and Stripped Bare and Naked. If your Christian identity pastor has an outlook concerning the non-white races, which is different from what I present here tonight, then he is simply not dividing the word of truth properly. And he is a fraud who pretends to be gathering the sheep, but in reality is scattering them so that they may be devoured. We are not to work together with other races. As a particular one of these frauds, one who claims to be Christian identity, has recently proclaimed, rather, we are to see them as a punishment for our own iniquity, a punishment and a reproach which Yahweh our God alone can save us from. This is a paper I wrote for the Saxon Messenger editorial, which is still upcoming. It's entitled, No Safe Haven. We do not know much about the Reedies or why the white couple who had four children were separated just months after the birth of their young daughter. However, rather than living with her husband, James, on June 7, 2013, Jennifer Reedy was admittedly sleeping with her in her home with a Mexican illegal alien named Jose Aguilar. When her nine-month-old child, her daughter, Serenity Reedy, was raped and murdered by the animal. Reports say that Reedy had taken her so-called boyfriend into her home about a month before her daughter's murder. According to the Richland, Washington Tri-City Herald, the baby had severe injuries to both her head and to her vagina. According to Columbia County's KEPR television, this is in South Central Washington State, Reedy said that Aguilar wanted to have sex that night, but she told him no. She said Aguilar told her he would go take care of himself. Evidently he did, with a little help from the nine-month-old child, Serenity Reedy. A video report from the same source quotes a doctor who said, there was massive damage to Serenity's genital region. The Tri-City Herald reports that Aguilar was picked up in a Greyhound bus in Barstow, California, with Reedy's cell phone. That's how he was tracked that the suspect was arrested in this is the usual excuse in this case that the national news media has for not reporting crimes such as this. There will be no national media vigil for young Serenity Reedy. However, it is also typical that on the occasions that arrests have not been made, even when there are definite suspects, the race of those suspects is rarely reported by the national media when they're not white. When they're white, 
the race of the suspects is trumpeted. When they're not white, the race of the suspects is unrevealed or it's downplayed. It is a game that they play with news reporting that is rigged to their advantage. Since it is not in the interest of the powers who control the national news media to report minority crimes against whites. The media is, essentially, a part of the propaganda campaign which continually passes wild beasts off as people. When whites believe this media propaganda, which they are bombarded with daily, it is at the risk of their own lives. The inevitable result is evident today in every major and formerly white city. The destruction of white society and its replacement with an odd mixture of third world mini jungles. The media racial bias in crime reporting is incredible and it's openly hypocritical. The famous Beltway sniper case is a perfect example. For months before the perpetrators were caught, the media speculated about an angry white male and all sorts of anti-white racial profiling was repeated daily. Once the culprits were caught, and they were found to be Negroes, all talk about race and crime in relation to the case evaporated. According to Tulsa's NewsOn6.com, on June 13, 2013, two as of then unidentified bodies were found in a home after a house fire in Calumet, Oklahoma. Of course, there is little need for the national media to report deaths in a house fire, and little else was reported at all until two weeks later, nearly two weeks later, on June 26, 2013. On that same date, the same media outlets, as well as other local news sources, reported that an arrest had been made in connection with the fire and deaths of Amy Gibbons and her five-year-old son, Briar, Briar Gibbons, who were white. Of course, once again, since an arrest had been made, by the time of any subsequent reports found in the local news, by the time it was discovered that the house fire was actually a heinous crime, since an arrest had already been made, little to nothing about this case appeared in the national news media. Another instance where it was kept in the local media. News OK, News Oklahoma, NewsOK.com, reported that Derek Don Posey, age 30, was charged with two counts of first-degree murder in Canadian County, Oklahoma, in the deaths of a Calumet mother and her five-year-old son, their bodies were found by firefighters putting out a deadly blaze at their home. According to the same report, prosecutors allege Posey forcibly raped Gibbons, the, white, the young white woman, and struck her on the head. They allege that after killing her, Posey set her house on fire. Briar Gibbons, the, the woman's five-year-old son, was in the house and died in the blaze. According to court documents, Posey was described as having been working in the oil fields around Calumet at the time of the killings. And in spite of that fact, he was charged with one count of felony debit card theft 
He had a job. He had to steal this woman's debit card. That's niggers for you. He was charged with one count of felony debit card theft and the alleged theft of Gibbons' debit card. He also took her cell phone. That's how he was caught. Good thing niggers are dumb. They always steal the cell phone, and the cell phone always tracks them down. A report from KOCO.com, Oklahoma City, explains that Posey also stole Gibbons' cell phone and was using it, which is how he was apprehended. In that report, Posey was described as an acquaintance of Gibbons. So here we have a young white woman with a, with a Negro beast for an acquaintance. She ends up raped and dead, her and her son. That's the way it, that, that's the way it should happen with all young white women with 30-year-old Negroes for acquaintances. Where five-year-old Briar Gibbons' father was at the time has not been reported. However, Carl Torp of Oklahoma City's KWTW, News 9 TV, KWTV, I'm sorry, News9.com, reported that Amy lived in the burned-out home along with her husband, who was not otherwise mentioned. Of course, since a suspect was apprehended, there would be no national media vigil for Amy and Briar Gibbons. It was never heard, as far as I know, on national media. I, I searched Google for all the national news outlets and saw not a trace of this young woman and her son in the news. In any, anywhere but local Oklahoma news. A third case. The wild beast known to society as Lavia Bryant, according to Detroit's Fox 2 news station, myfoxdetroit.com, had already been convicted more than once for sex-related crimes when he was hired for a job at a family dollar store in Dearborn, Michigan. However, he was fired by Family Dollar in the spring of 2013, and the reasons why he was fired are undisclosed as of the time of the media reports. On July 16th, he returned to the store. He shot a male former co-worker to death. After robbing the store, he abducted a young, white, female former co-worker off to a nearby field. While that happened, while what happened to Brenna Mackis in that field is not elaborated upon in the reports. According to ABC News, and yes, this case did get a modicum of national media attention, not much. According to ABC News, her body was said to have been found in a wooded area just miles from the store. The report states that police offered no details on the condition of the body. While the case received some national media attention, the irony of the fact that Bryant committed the horrific crime while wearing dark clothes and a hood over his head, yes, the nigger had a hoodie, seems to have gone unnoticed. We can't help but wonder if there was a bag of Skittles in his booty. Writing this paper, I chose to illustrate these three cases in order to give a fair cross-section of the types of beasts who are devouring America that want certain things concerning the opportunity which these animals who did these things had are understood, the typical liberal arguments concerning race and opportunity simply disintegrate. Jose Luis Aguilar is a Mexican illegal, one of those tens of millions 
whom the current government won't deport and is trying to legalize. He was living freely in a mostly white neighborhood. He was sleeping with a white woman in a home that he did not lift a finger to make and had all the opportunity in the world to do good. I mean, what Mexican greaseball could have it better than that? Yet he raped and killed a nine-month-old child instead. The Negro, Derek Don Posey, killed a, killed a young mother and her white child. Evidently had a pretty good oil field job. He lived in a nice, quiet, mostly white town where the sheriff, the sheriff of the town in the news reports in reference to this crime had expressed shock that such a thing could happen in his town. Rather than continue working and enjoying the life which the white world provided this beast, he raped and killed a young white woman and her son, burning their house down. This, this third Negro beast, LeVere Bryant, a two-time convicted felon, landed a job at a store, which may not, I mean, Family Dollar isn't the best place to work. It may not have provided the ideal career by which he could be catapulted into the so-called middle class. But with that job, he certainly had as much economic opportunity as the two white co-workers that he murdered after he was fired because he couldn't even hold that job. These are not isolated cases. In fact, cases such as these are quite common. I could have picked from 500 cases to write this article, or, or 1,000, all from the last two years. And while there are more than a few small and independent media websites which compile these cases, they are hardly noticed by the general reading population, and that's not really high, a high figure, the general reading population, in America or Europe. Every week in America alone, hundreds, if not thousands, of white women and children are singled out, raped, and often killed by so-called minorities. Thousands more each week are assaulted, robbed, or burglarized by minorities. The official crime statistics are worthless. They're worthless because animals, such as Jose Luis Aguilar, Serenity Reedy's murderer, are considered as white for reporting purposes. My editorial has links to the FBI crime reports to, to establish that fact. Therefore, whites are credited by the government for nearly all of the crimes committed by non-whites who happen not to be black. Now, a lot of people may not understand what I mean by referring to these crime reports. However, if one looks at these crime reports, look at the FBI crime statistics, and look at what is not there, there's no category for mestizos. There's no category for several varieties of squat monsters from the Caribbean or from South America. And there's no category for them. And once one sees that, one shall realize indeed what is wrong with the crime statistics. All of those people, all of those criminals, all of the, I, I hate to call them people, that's, I'm sorry, that's a slip. All of those animals who are not black are classified as white 
if they're not black. And, and that's all the Latinos and, and, and the Stizos south of the border, or all of the squat monsters of the Caribbean, they're, they're, they're not going to admit being black. They're going to be classified as white in the crime reports. That's the way it works. If, it's not, if they don't have frizzing hair and skin within two shades of coal, they basically get classified as white in the crime reports. And it's they who account for the large majority of crimes that are in the categories under whites. They're not white at all, the people. 80, 90% of those crimes are not committed by whites. The proof of that's in the prison system, where only about 10% of the people in the prison system are white. They're not there because they're privileged. They're just, there, they're just not there because whites don't commit these crimes. It's very rare. I mean, yeah, sure, there's plenty of white crackheads who might go steal some lottery tickets or rob a liquor store or, or, or rob the lottery tickets out of a liquor store. They do stupid things like that, crackheads and, and meth addicts. Yeah, sure. But whites generally do not commit violent crimes. They're almost all committed by, by, by Negroes and, and other non-whites. So the government is lying to us through its own reporting system. It, it's, it's, it's a crime the way the FBI reports crime. And that's not all. Now the United States government, and, and this is becoming official Obama administration policy, and once it gets put in place, no, no matter who the next president is, it's not coming out. Now the United States government, through the Department of Housing and Urban Development, will work to ensure that there are Jose Aguilar's, Derek Posey's, and LaVia Bryant's inhabiting each and every neighborhood in America. This is no doubt the Bolsheviking of the housing markets in the United States. The next step is to regulate each and every bedroom, and that was already done. It can be established from the official British diplomatic reports, Russia number one, that the Marxists had done to Russia immediately following the Bolshevik Revolution, that same thing, that very same thing, the Bolsheviks forced families to share their apartments with outsiders, outsiders who were assigned by the local party commissars. So the government was telling you who you had to have sleep in your house. You couldn't say no. We have seen many more recent articles from England which have illustrated the fact that the British government has been turning many countryside mansions over to aliens and, and many large and, and luxury homes in the cities over to aliens, the cost of which is borne by the taxpayers. It's coming here. Here in America, the same plan is now in deployment. Under the so-called progressives, in less than 100 years, we may have gone from a chicken in every pot to a Negro or a Mexican in every bed. How many more serenity readings will be raped and murdered? And if there are not enough niggers to go around, the United States government has an ample supply awaiting transport in Somalia, so-called refugees. To date, the Obama administration has imported tens of thousands of these animals into once bucolic places such as Maine, Minnesota, and Tennessee. Admittedly, this policy began long before Obama, and it was practiced by both the Clinton and the Bush administrations 
Obama has sought to elevate the figures. Last March 2012, four of these Somalian animals, four young Somalian animals, I won't call them men, stabbed, robbed, and raped two newspaper delivery men, two white newspaper delivery men, in an ordeal which lasted for several hours. The beasts had names such as Tut-Tut and Duwawal, who were but 15 and 21 years old. This was reported by Nashville's NewsChannel5.com, but it never made a splash in the national media. And if it had, it surely would have been drowned out by the months-long eulogy for another such beast in a hoodie, Trayvon Martin. There are many other cases involving Somalians, such as the 12-year-old girl in New Hampshire who had her teeth knocked out because she would not date such a beast, as if a girl so young should even be dating. That's how these black animals think. In a 35-page report available from the U.S. government printing office, published in the Federal Register on July 19, 2013, entitled Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing, a Proposed Rule. It is certainly evident that the government intends to do precisely what has been stated here. This has already been summarized in articles in the alternative media. It's already summarized in an article which appeared at cnsnews.com entitled HUD's New Fair Housing Rule, establishes diversity data for every neighborhood in the U.S. And they also link to a, full co a copy of the full report that's online. You'll find both links to PDF copies and the, the full report at the Saxon Messenger website at Christagenia. Announcing the newly proposed rule, CNSnews.com quotes HUD Secretary Sean Donovan as having said, for the first time ever, HUD will provide data for every neighborhood in the country detailing the access African-American, Latino, Asian, and other communities have to local assets, including schools, jobs, transportation, and other important neighborhood resources, like your daughter, that can play a role in helping people move into the middle class. Then, in a July 16th speech given to the NAACP, Donovan, explaining the supposed inequality of the past, said, and I quote, because even in those so-called good times, the American dream wasn't within equal reach of all communities. Those occupying the executive suites and boardrooms didn't reflect the diversity of America. In other words, rebuilding America back to the way things were simply isn't good enough. Instead, and I'm still quoting from Donovan, instead we have got to shape a future where ladders of opportunity are available for all Americans. As you know better than anyone, for African Americans, this is critically important. Historically, for this community, the rungs on these ladders have been too far apart making it harder to reach the middle class, and I must add, making it also harder to reach your daughter's bedroom. Like someone may be expected to read and to write, 
in order to become gainfully employed, I guess that's really not a prerequisite, right? In the Marxist worldview, merit earned through hard study, through hard labor, or any extraordinary talents means nothing, nothing at all. Anyone should have a turn with any job. Perhaps Donovan will practice that first and allow some inner-city youth to watch his kids while he's away, allow some inner-city youth to pilot his next junket. The Marxist imagines himself to be God and gives rewards, rewards which are always stolen from others to whomever he sees fit. Usually the rewards go to whomever the Marxist esteems most expedient to keep himself in power. That is how the Bolsheviks operated, and it is how American politicians now operate. According to a related article at Newsnet14.com, the Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation have already assisted HUD in establishing the so-called diversity data, which they have for every single neighborhood in America. Using this data, government officials will put minorities in every neighborhood, claiming to thereby create ladders of opportunity. But Derek Posey, the nigger that slew a 21-year-old mother, white woman, and her five-year-old child after he raped her, Derek Posey already had a good job. And Lavia Bryant, the two-time sex offender, he was already given the opportunity to begin his life anew. It also looked like Jose Aguilar, who raped and killed nine-month-old Serenity Reedy, he was doing pretty good. He was living with his white girlfriend off of the support checks and in a home which was supplied by her, ex, her white ex-husband. He was living pretty high on the hog. Yet all three of these men chose to rob, rape, and murder innocent women and children. There are countless thousands of others like them willing to do those same things every day. Opportunity to them means getting into a white girl's panties or pillaging a white man's bank account. That's what opportunity is to a nigger or a mestizo. Opportunity does not turn animals into people. Furthermore, since there are more whites, there are, without a doubt, and this is established in government statistics, there are far more whites living below the poverty line in America than the sum total of all Negroes. Since that is a fact, it is further evident that the lack of opportunity does not turn people into animals. There are things the government calls people, and they are animals. Animals cannot be people, regardless of opportunity. Neither can government create opportunity, which is only created by hard work, initiative, and the creative energies of a society engaged in such things. These things government does not know and cannot regulate. Neither do Negroes and Mexicans know these things, or they would have them in the lands from which they came. 
Civilization is a racial construct. It belongs to the white race. And wherever non-whites are, they only deconstruct. We can only wonder what sorts of animals are given opportunity in the homes and bedrooms of the Gates Mansion. The Gates should be the first, Bill and Melinda Gates, should be the first to build a highway from the ghettos of East Los Angeles into their very own neighborhood. Bill and Melinda Gates, they should take some niggers into their beds. Or maybe they already have. They just haven't advertised it. There is no safe haven. There is nowhere that whites can flee. Forget about the Pacific Northwest. Forget about a, a white homeland somewhere. It's not going to happen. No white family is going to escape harm or perhaps even destruction with the oncoming, with, with the coming onslaught of ethnic diversity. We don't have diversity yet. The government's about to give us enough more. Uh, uh, the government's about to give us much more. Until whites awaken to the root causes of the destruction of their once great civilization, or, and this is more urgent, to the fact that there is even a problem, because, of course, most whites don't even realize there's even a problem, there is nothing for them to do. Once whites do awaken, there is only one thing left for them to do. If my people, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways that I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. 2 Chronicles 7.14 This lays the foundation for the second essay that I shall present tonight. They're very much connected. Strip bare and naked. This was a Saxon Messenger editorial from last month, from June. While it would take a volume of print to prove some of the assertions which are going to be made here this month, I'm sorry, in this paper. We have already presented much of that in Christrike, our commentary on the revelation of Yahshua Christ, because it would take such a volume of print to prove some of the things I'm about to say. I, I can't lay that foundation in this program. It can't be laid. It, 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 um, it, it takes an awful lot of study and a couple of hundred pages, and that's just the way it is. So I'm going to have to profess a lot of conclusions from that study. And, and of course, Christrike is available freely at Christagenia.org and at Christrike.org. The text and 14 podcasts. There is only one woman in the eyes of Yahweh our God, allegorically speaking, one woman, and that woman is the 12 tribes of Israel collectively. In her obedience to her God, she is the bride, and she is promised rewards, both heavenly and earthly. But in her disobedience, she is a whore, and she is punished with an earthly punishment for her whoredoms. The proof is also, as our New England ancestors used to say, in the pudding. For the things from Scripture, which are about to be expressed here, are not only relative to the events of today, but they are the only way in which such events can be truly understood. That the children of Israel are, collectively speaking, the whore of the revelation is fully evident from the text of the Old Testament, where the language is quite explicit. For instance, in Ezekiel 16.25, where Yahweh says to the children of Israel, 
Thou hast built thy high place at every head of the way, and hast made thy beauty to be abhorred, and hast opened thy feet to everyone that passed by, and multiplied thy whoredoms. The high places were the ancient centers of idolatry. The pagan temples of the past accepted all comers, and they were centers for banking, prostitution, dining, and entertainment. But the children of Israel were to be a separate people and not engage with the rest of the world in any of those things. While there are many references to this in Scripture, the primary reference is found at Exodus 19.5, and I quote, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice, indeed, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. The phrase, open thy feet, in the passage of Ezekiel cited above, Ezekiel 16.25, that phrase is quite archaic. Today, it would literally be rendered, spread your legs. You have spread your legs. And the proof of that interpretation is found in Deuteronomy 28.57 where a similar phrase is used in the same manner. Spreading their legs is exactly what the children of Israel do when they mingle with the other races of the world, which is what Ezekiel refers to with the remark concerning everyone that passed by. For doing such things, these same children of Israel were warned at Amos 3.2. You only, Yahweh said, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. The books of the prophets and the entire revelation are all about that punishment. In Revelation chapter 12, we see a woman, which clearly represents the 12 tribes of Israel. We see the woman flee to the wilderness from the face of the dragon. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she is a place prepared for 1,260 days. For quite some time, the woman in the wilderness was nourished with the gospel, for the Saxon and Celtic and relation, related nations of Europe are indeed the literal descendants of the woman, the 12 stars, genealogical children of Israel, and their acceptance of Christianity was the fulfillment of prophecy that Israel would return to Yahweh their God through his Christ. However, prophesying of another, much later period, John the revelator, again returns to the wilderness. Why does he return to the wilderness? Because that's where the woman was left to be nourished. In Revelation chapter 17, from verse 3, so he carried me away, meaning the Spirit of Christ carried John away. So he carried me away into the Spirit, into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, 
having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And upon her head, upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Israel, the woman, has been killing her own by following the devil. She's been doing that for a long time. World War II is the most glaring recent example in history. The minor wars that we've had since then have also been a part of that same scheme. Although the woman represented in the Christian nations of Europe was nourished with the gospel for well over a thousand years, she nevertheless has joined herself to the beast. And in doing so, she became one with mystery Babylon and the mother of harlots and abominations. In ancient times, the children of Israel had played the harlot before Yahweh their God in their intercourse with the other nations of the world. And they were punished for it, even though those other nations were mostly white Adamic nations. They were nevertheless punished for it by being put out of their ancient kingdom. This is described most succinctly in Hosea chapter 2. And I quote, Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, which means my people, and to your sisters, Ruhama, Ruhama means having obtained mercy. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born and make her as a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. And I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be the children of whoredoms, for their mother has played the harlot. She that conceived them has done shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her path. Verse 5 of this passage of Hosea links the harlotry of the ancient children of Israel to intercourse and trade with other nations, Hosea 2.5. Likewise, chapter 18 links the beast to which the whore is joined to international trade. This is the root cause of the woman's abominations and the filthiness of her fornication, globalism and free trade and therefore modern international corporatism are the contemporary manifestations of this biblical whoredom. The punishment for such whoredom is that the children of Israel would be stripped naked by Yahweh their God, Hosea 2.3. The prophecy continues, Hosea 2.7, And she shall follow after, their lover, after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them, and she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she, shall she say, 
I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better with me than now. For she did not know that I, meaning Yahweh, gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Therefore will I return and take away my corn, take away my corn in the time thereof, and my wine in the season thereof, and will recover or take back my wool and my flax given to deliver her out of mine hand. And I will also cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons and her Sabbaths, and all her solemn feasts. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she has said, These are my rewards that my lovers have given me. This is describing international trade. And I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them, and she decked herself with her earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers and forgot me, saith Yahweh. The children of Israel failed to remain a separate people, and instead they pursued the fruits to be gained in international trade and in intercourse with the world's other peoples. Therefore Yahweh their God made certain that those fruits were destroyed to be devoured by the beasts of the field, Hosea 2.12. I wouldn't take that passage too literally. Just look at the Negroes, the squat monsters, and the yellow devils crowding you out of the supermarkets. Yet hope was offered to Israel through repentance and an acceptance of Yahweh their God who promised to betroth himself to Israel once again. The nature of this hope is outlined towards the end of the same chapter of Hosea, where it says, Hosea 2.14, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. This is a prophecy of the gospel. And I will give her her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt, the valley of Achor was so named when, Ish, when the Israelite Achan was stoned for having surreptitiously withheld a Babylonish garment, a Babylonian garment, along with enough silver and gold to go into the banking business. The door of hope offered in the valley of Achor is that once we understand what a usury-based economy and the international banking system have done to enslave us, we can begin to understand our situation and how we got here. This repentance and return to obedience prophesied by Hosea had happened in an acceptance of the gospel and a turning to Christ. And the Jews were ostracized from Europe. And usury was ostracized from Europe. Usury was banned in Europe amongst Christian people for a thousand years. This repentance and return to obedience prophesied by Hosea has happened in acceptance by the Israelite peoples of the gospel and their turning to Christ. Christ illustrates this by referring to himself as the bridegroom 
Christ referring to himself as the bridegroom is Yahweh come in the flesh to betroth himself to Israel once again. Paul illustrates this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, where he says, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. That the Corinthians, and that was a fulfillment of Hosea chapter 2, that the Corinthians, as well as many of the other nations in Europe, were descended, were indeed descended from the dispersed Israelites of old, is the subject of Paul's message to them in his earlier epistle in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's evident elsewhere in places such as Romans chapter 4 for the Romans, Galatians chapter 4 for the Galatians. Throughout the entire Middle Ages, Christianity kept usury out of Europe almost completely. The Valley of Achor was the door of hope. And the Jews were kept out of participating in the rights of citizenship in all white nations. I was recently asked by a neighbor, a, a, a woman neighbor of mine, how it is that the prophecies of the Bible are centered around the white race. So I explained from Daniel chapter 4 that the book of Nezar's Beast, that series of empires, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 2, that the book of Nezar's Beast, that series of empires of which his had represented the head of gold, was to rule as it says explicitly in Daniel chapter 2, was to rule wheresoever the children of men dwell. The empires which the beast represented were all white, and all of them had ruled over the majority of the civilized white world of its respective time. Thus is the proof that both Daniel, and therefore the revelation as it corresponds with Daniel, deal exclusively with the white world. She was familiar with those prophecies, and she recognized it immediately. Now, there are other ways to prove that the revelation is Eurocentric, but that Daniel chapter 2 is Eurocentric. The full proof is evident right from the context of the chapter and from an understanding and identity of the world empires being described by Daniel as interpreted from the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. As the children of Israel were commanded in the Old Testament, the Christian children of Israel in Europe, their descendants, were indeed also to have been a separate people. As the Apostle Peter tells them in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, where he is referring both to the Exodus, Exodus 19.5, and to the promised restoration of Israel, which was prophesied in Hosea chapters 1 and 2. So here we shall read from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But ye are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now 
of the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And with these references to Old Testament Israelites, to the prophecy of Hosea, to Exodus 19, Peter can only be speaking to the seed of Israel, to the descendants, the literal genealogical physical descendants of Old Testament Israelites. However, because the children of Israel do not learn from history, they are bound to repeat the errors of the past. And many of those prophecies have a dual fulfillment. Hosea has a dual fulfillment. It has one fulfillment as the ancient Israelites were being taken away by the Assyrians when they were being stripped bare and naked. And it has another fulfillment in this era today, in the times before the end, in the times before the consummation, in the times leading up to the return and the victory of our Savior. Because the children of Israel don't learn from history, they are bound to repeat the errors of the past. That's why, and that's how, so many prophecies have such a dual fulfillment. The revelation of Christ therefore tells us that all these things must happen once more before the actual consummation of his betrothal to Israel, which is the marriage supper of the Lamb, described in Revelation chapter 19. This marriage supper describes the destruction of all of the enemies of Christ. And in the end, only the children of Israel are left standing because they're the only ones that have obtained mercy. It follows the description of the fall of Mystery Babylon, which is related in chapters 17 and 18. From Revelation 17:9, And here is the mind which has wisdom, the seven heads or seven mountains, on which the woman sits. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goes into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as of yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords, and king of kings, and they that are with him, are called, and chosen, and faithful. And he says unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sits, are peoples, and multitudes, and nations. That's the sea, right? At the end of the Revelation, there is no more sea. The waters which thou sawest, and where the whore sits, are peoples, and multitudes, and nations. Exactly as Israel is situated today. And tongues, and the ten horns, which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate, and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree, and to give their kingdom unto the beast, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. You wonder why we have a beast president, right? And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. The seven heads are the seven world empires. 
that had at one time or another ruled over the children of Israel. Mountains often represent large nations in Scripture, and they certainly do here. Four of these empires were prophesied by Daniel, twice in both chapters 2 and 7 of his book. However, Daniel was only depicting a limited time relative to his own future. He only has four beasts. Although the visions in his seventh chapter have a much wider scope than that of his second, the vision in John encompasses a much wider period, the entire history of the children of Israel. When the seventh of these world empires had passed, the beast was and is not, and an eighth beast would arise from them. This beast, although the whore had joined herself to it, would hate the whore and make war against it. Notice that the punishment inflicted against the whore by this beast is much the same as that punishment inflicted upon the ancient children of Israel for their whoredoms as they were described in Hosea, that due to the children of Israel relying on their international trade, that the whore, Israel, would be left desolate or stripped bare and naked. Again, from Revelation 17, from verse 16, And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked. And shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. The woman, at the beginning of this prophecy, can be the whore riding the beast, wearing the name Mystery Babylon. And the woman can also be towards the end of this prophecy, the great city itself. And that's because the law of God, according to the law of God, a woman becomes one flesh with her husband, with whom she joins herself to. Therefore, the woman here, the whore, who's really the wife of God, so she's a whore because she's joined to the beast, the whore becomes one with the beast, which she joins herself to in her fornication. As this chapter of the Revelation explains, the eighth beast is not a king itself, but reigns over the kings of the earth. Yet it was also of the seven former kingdoms, all of which reigned over the earth at one time and another. All of these seven kings were world empires ruling over men contrary to the law and the word of God. This was a result of Israel's punishment. This was the seven times of punishment. We learn from Revelation chapter 13, where these kingdoms are described in a somewhat different manner, that it is the dragon which gives its power unto the beast. It is explained in Revelation chapter 12 that the dragon is Satan, that collective entity which have forever been opposed to Yahweh God and to the people of God. 
and we shall see below that this interpretation is consistent with other scriptures, and I reference Luke chapter 4. Yet the revelation describes the woman as the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. And also that Babylon, and that's in Revelation 17, 18, and also that Babylon is that great city in Revelation 18, 21. However, initially, the woman was separate from the beast and only sat upon the beast, and that's in Revelation 17, verses 3 and 4. This is because the woman, once having joined herself to the beast, has become one with the beast as the marriage was of Yahweh God's state, Genesis 2.24. Therefore shall a woman, shall, I'm sorry, shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The dragon has always given its power to the beast because the same demonic people have been behind the forces that have empowered every world empire. As we see in Luke chapter 4, the devil rules over the kingdoms of this world from verse 5. And the devil, Hodiabolos, the false accuser, taking him up to a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that it is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I will, I shall give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Until Christ returns, devils continue to rule over the kingdoms of this world. And these people have also promoted the tenets of ancient Babylon all throughout time. Globalism, the Tower of Babel was an attempt at globalism. Usury banking, democracy, ecumenism, ritualism, and all of the pagan practices which include sexual immorality, race mixing, and many other things which are opposed to Yahweh our God. The word Babylon is derived from a Hebrew word which means confusion. Today, the primary torchbearers of all these ancient and evil practices are Jews. These Jews are also the primary actors in the usury banking system, which has, over these last two centuries, risen to once again control the commerce and the governments of the modern world. This is how the beast is able to strip the whore bare and leave her naked. Their Canaanite, and Canaanite, Canaanite ancestors were the usurers of the ancient world. Their Nephilim, fallen angel ancestors, were the authors of those pagan religions and of every vile practice amongst men. These people were the usurers, the kingmakers, and the empire builders of the ancient world, just as they are today. Today they are far more open than they apparently were in the ancient past, and especially through the Middle Ages. The world's Jewish-controlled central banking system is indeed the eighth beast of the Revelation. It is fitting that this banking system has found its origination in certain Jewish families, which had first come to control the Bank of England, and then the central banks of the European continent, and eventually of America. And it is headquartered in London, in a district called the City. This is literally the great city 
which reigns over the kings of the earth. It is owned and operated by the dragon, Satan, and the international Jew is the synagogue of Satan. And those who say they are Judah, but they are not, they are the seed of Canaan and Esau. It is married to the woman. This city is married to the woman, the Saxon people who are true Israel. It is just as fitting, and it is no coincidence that the symbolic overseers of the city are a pair of effigies, a pair of idols who are actually named Gog and Magog. How in your face is that? This is how the whore is joined to the beast. Yet the beast hates the whore and leaves her desolate and naked. And this is exactly what the bankers have been doing to the white race today. It can be demonstrated, as we frequently have, that the thousand years when Satan was locked into the pit, described in Revelation chapter 20, describes the period when the Jews were ostracized from Christian society, which included nearly the entire white Adamic world of the time. And they were not allowed citizenship, even where they were granted residence. This thousand years period ended with the emancipation of the Jews at the time of Napoleon, just after the French Revolution. Once this is understood, and once it is realized that Revelation chapter 20 merely summarizes the prophecies of the chapters which preceded, just as Revelation 13 did, the same, did that same thing. It summarized the chapters of the prophecy which preceded it. The prophecy of the following scripture becomes perfectly evident in history from Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. And when a thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. The picture drawn in the words of the prophet Ezekiel in his famous chapters 38 and 39 depict that very same event forewarned in Revelation chapter 20. I'll read from Ezekiel chapter 38. From verse 2, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus saith Yahweh God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. In these chapters of Ezekiel, Gog and Magog lead a great army, verses 38, I'm sorry, chapter 38, verses 4 through 6, they lead a great army against the mountains of Israel, 38.8. This army is described as being like a cloud to cover the land. There are some commentators who would interpret that text, which is at 
as describing the army which comes in under the cover of a cloud as it being unnoticed. The interpretation is intriguing, and it's true, because they're already here, but it's unnecessary. In the age of nuclear weapons and other vast arsenals of firepower, as well as live satellite imagery, giving ample time for defense, it's unlikely that a vast military army could successfully invade any modern Western nation, unless the invasion was made surreptitiously or under some sort of pretense. The hordes of Gog and Magog are depicted by Ezekiel, chapter 38, verses 11 and 12, to go up to the land of unwalled villages, to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, and having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil and to take a prey, and to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited, and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods and dwell in the midst of the land. The people gathered out of the nations are the children of Israel and their dispersions gathered into one place. Micah chapter 4. While a casual reading of Ezekiel seems to indicate that a military invasion is being described, and a military invasion cannot be entirely ruled out, yet such an invasion is not necessary to meet the requirements of the fulfillment of the prophecy. For the hordes of Gog and Magog have already invaded and covered the mountains of Israel like a cloud. Once it is realized that the eighth beast of the revelation is the world's central banking system, which functions at the command of that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth, and that this is also represented by Gog and Magog, it is not a far stretch to see that the hordes of aliens flooding into white nations everywhere the nations formerly known as Christendom, are indeed the very hordes of Gog and Magog. The push for more and more immigration into white lands is the work of the international bankers and the global corporations which they control. There is nothing else in all history or any philosophy or especially in scripture or in any other belief system which explains how the world's greatest culture should self-destruct by allowing itself to be overrun with mindless, murderous savages. Only this historical interpretation of the revelation in the books of the prophets explains this properly. These alien hordes pouring into all white nations under the guise of immigration are no different than conquering armies. In Ezekiel's time, they would have been seen as armies. They are looting and pillaging white, white industry and culture under a cloud of legality. And they are even able to do so at the expense of the whites in those nations. Therefore, true Israel has once again become the whore who has built thy high place at every head of the way and has made thy beauty to be abhorred and has opened thy feet or I should say, and it has spread thy legs for everyone that passed by and multiplied thy whoredoms. As the whore who has joined herself to the beast of Jewish usury and global commercialism. How could the white race not be the whore? She has surrendered her culture to aliens 
and her institutions now cater to them. She has not only allowed herself to be overrun, but she, is, she herself has financed her own defeat through her social welfare, tax abatements, and other programs which benefit the invading aliens exclusively at the expense of her own people. She just hands it over to them. She has made laws against her own interests, and now her women, even her children, are being raped, bought, or given away to the aliens. There are multiple thousands of white victims of minority crimes daily, and whites do not see it for what it is. It's a violent invasion, downplayed or ignored by a Jewish-controlled media. It's written off as crime, and people believe it. This is just as the curses of disobedience upon a sinful Israel, which are recorded in the book of Deuteronomy, have warned, Thy sons and thy daughters shall be given unto another people, and thine eyes shall look, and fail with longing for them all the day long, and there shall be no might in thine hand. We have no ability to stop it. This is how the children of Israel, the whore of the revelation, is to be left stripped bare and naked. The Mexicans, the Arabs, the Turks, the Negroes, the Asians, these are the hordes of Gog and Magog. These are the beasts of Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 31. These are the locust plagues of Joel. Yet there is further hope at the end. Once the people of God realized that they have suffered enough, once they returned to their God, however, that hope is only in Christ which we see in the rest of Hosea's message of hope to Israel from Hosea 2.16. And it shall be at that day, saith Yahweh, that thou shalt call me Ishi, and shall no more call me Lord or Bali, Ishi meaning husband. For I will take away the names of Balim out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their names. And in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven and with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth and will make them to lie down safely. And I will betroth thee, meaning Israel, unto me forever. Yeah, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness. And in mercies, I will betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know Yahweh. And it shall come to pass in that day, I will hear, saith Yahweh, I will hear the heavens, and they shall hear the earth. And the earth shall hear the corn, and the wine, and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel. And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. The same people Peter was speaking to. And I will say to them, which were not my people, 1 Peter 2.10, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. This is how we must look at the other races. The non-whites 
and all of the alien immigrants, there's only one way to look at these people. There's only one way that's scriptural to view these people. And anything else is a damned lie. They are all, without exception, the locusts, the caterpillars, the canker worms and the palmer worms of the prophet Joel. They are all the beasts which arise from the forests to devour the children of Israel, illustrated in Isaiah chapter 56. They are never to be considered as prospective Christians. They aren't even to be considered as people by Christians. They are beasts permitted by our God to torment us on account of our sin. However, their end is destruction. Yahweh destroyed Egypt, Persia, Babylonia, and Assyria on behalf of the children of Israel. After the Assyrians took Israel into captivity, Yahweh himself said that he would now destroy Assyria for their haughtiness, and he did it, for their pride, and he did it, because they lifted their hand against his people. And he did it. So how were these savage beasts to receive any better treatment than that? After Yahweh used those white nations to punish Israel and he destroyed them for the sanctity of his name, how much more will he destroy the beasts that have risen against us? These are the beasts of Jeremiah 31 and 56, Isaiah 56. I won't quote Isaiah 56 here tonight, but the following is from my paper, The Immigration Problem and Biblical Prophecy. And I quote, Yet Yahweh our God surely foresaw that our pastors, his watchmen, as they are called in Isaiah 56.10, would misinterpret Isaiah 56 verses 1 through 8 as they do much of Scripture in their own greed and ignorance. For Isaiah 56, 9 through 12 reads from the King James Version, All ye beasts of the field, come to devour. Yeah, all ye beasts in the forest, his watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yeah, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his own gain from his quarter. Come ye, they say, I will fetch wine, and we will fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow shall be as this day and much more abundant. These dumb dogs are our universalist theologians and pastors. Because of men such as them, the beasts of the field, a phrase which is used as a pejorative term for the non-Adamic races, because of these men, the beasts of the field have been given the opportunity to come to devour the children of Israel. And that's how we should look at every mixed-race marriage. Whenever you see a mixed-race marriage, there's a canker worm. Whenever you see a white woman married to a nigger, there's a canker worm devouring 
a shaft of wheat. That's exactly what's going on. There's a canker worm in the wheat field, and it's devouring the wheat. These other races which have swarmed in amongst us are those very insects which Joel describes as swarms of various insects sent by Yahweh to punish the children of Israel. In Joel's time, the insects represented the Assyrians and the Babylonians. In our time today, the insects certainly represent the Negroes, the Asians, the Mestizos, because there aren't any more Assyrians and Babylonians. From Joel chapter 1, from verse 3, Tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children tell another generation. That which the pommel worm has left, the locust has eaten. And that which the locust has left, the canker worm has eaten. And that which the canker worm has left, the caterpillar has eaten. I will quote from Obadiah verses 15 through 18. There's a lot of people in Israel identity that love to quote Obadiah 18. They can repeat it from their heart. They don't need to open a book. But so many of those fools don't know what Obadiah 15 and 16 are saying, and they don't want to admit it. And when they do read it, they don't believe it. For the day of Yahweh is near upon all the heathen, as thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as you have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yeah, they shall drink and they shall swallow down and they shall be as though they had not been. All the non-Israel people shall be as though they had not existed. These are all of the non-white races drinking upon Israel, the holy mountain of God. When Israel is delivered, they shall be as if they had never existed. That's what Obadiah 15 and 16 are saying. Obadiah 17. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house, no more niggers and Cadillacs. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau. For Yahweh has spoken it. The house of Esau is, for the most part, the Jew. There are a lot of Arab people belonging to the house of Esau. There's a lot of conversos in Europe that really belong to the house of Esau. For the most part, it's the Jew. And it's the Jew who has gathered all of these beasts against the people of God. And all of these non-Israelite nations, all the heathen, are going to be as though they had not been. From Joel, chapter 2. From verse 23. Be glad then, ye children of Israel, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in Yahweh your God, 
for he has given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the later rain in the first month, and the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fats shall overflow with wine and oil, and I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm, and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. That's how we have to see the other races. Yahweh's great army, which he sent among us for our punishment, because judgment begins at the house of Yahweh. That doesn't mean we coddle these people. We as Christians should come out from among them and touch not the unclean. We do not coddle the other races. We do not make excuses for them. It's wise to understand them, and with this we know, that these are the locust swarms. That's how we should look at the other races. Any other way to look at the other races, anything, anything that clowns would say, and and I could name them, but I won't here, anything that certain Christian identity clowns would say to defend the other races, that considers them as people, that considers their bastard offspring as anything but bastards and, and roots which Yahweh did not plan to be rooted up, anything of that nature is not Scripture. We look at the other races as beasts sent here by Yahweh to punish the children of Israel for their iniquity, period. That's the only scriptural way to look at them. Thank you for listening. This is the end of my presentation. Tomorrow night, pastors Don Elmore and Mark Downey. Next Friday, I'll be back in, Yahweh willing, I'll be back in Bristol, Virginia with Clifton Emma Heiser. This is William Fink from Panama City Beach, Florida. Praise Yahweh. Thank you for listening. And good night.